This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas. I am the Echo's Everton FC correspondent. Alongside me today, we have Connor O'Neill, my colleague, and our longtime contributor, Gavin Buckland. Well, we were planning a podcast earlier on anyway, uh, we already had a quite a bit to talk about, particularly over Tom Davis's departure, but we're now here at lunchtime on Friday and we have some significant news. So earlier on this morning, as I'm sure everybody who's listening to this is well aware, is Everton came up with the announcement around their board changes. The one that we were expecting, we first knew something was coming on Monday of last week, but of course the departures of three of the four board members, Grant Ingalls, Graham Sharp and Denise Barrett-Baxendale was announced. We were told further information was going to be available 48 hours later. It wasn't. Further week passed. We've got to Friday morning, but now we have our answers. So what we know from this morning, what the club has said is that Bill headline news is Bill Kenway is staying on as chairman for the time being. I think it's important to kind of, if you, if you look at the wording of everything that's done, it suggests that this is probably a temporary position. They'll probably be reappraised at the end of whatever the summer transition is going to entail for Everton. But for the time being, Bill Chairman at the behest of a delighted Fahad Mashiri is staying on. Fahad Mashiri moves onto the board. Those are the two big ones. And then we have three new additions to the board of directors at Everton. Colin Chong, who's overseen the stadium development so far, and they'll probably be a bit more familiar to you than some of the others behind the scenes at Everton. You have James Marniak, who's currently the director of finance. So he was probably just below Grant Ingalls and he's stepping up to be the interim chief finance officer. Then we have a new name, a non-executive director, which is the same title that Fahad Mashiri's got. That's John Spellman, who, according to Everton's press release, is an experienced chartered accountant, successful businessman, and an Evertonian. It's obviously going to be our starting point for, for today. Gal, I'm going to come to you first. What was your immediate reaction when you saw the news? And, when, and, and out of all those five appointments, I think we can probably guess which one you were that perked your interest immediately, but but which one were you kind of most interested in when it came out? Which is terms of the appointments, um, I think. I, well, I, t- I tell you, I'm, I'm perfectly. You know, the the, the thing is, uh, incident, isn't it? This is just a temporary arrangement. So we, you know, pe- people know we don't hear anything, and then when they do do hear them, more. So I mean, you know, let's face it, it's incident. This is not the long term vision for effort. So we need to, you know. That that is uh, that is the, the clear thing. It's the well, we it's the appointments of Farhad as non executive director, which I find strange. And also as well, this is subject all subject to Premier League approval as well, isn't it? And um, I believe, yeah, I the, all the other appointments are perfect, and the circumstances are perfectly sensible. Farhad's I, and I'm not sure about. Uh, whether I'm not sure about it in the way that non-executive director, you are an independent voice in the board. So you missed the point about Graham Sharp. You're not really part of the day-to-day decision-making of the club. Yeah, here we have somebody who's the shareholder, major shareholder of the, or that might change in the future, of course, of the club as it stands at the moment, who's a non-executive director. That from a government, corporate governance perspective, that appears to be odd. Why is to me? Connor, 
when you look at Everton on the fire machine, it's very much felt for, for a long time that you almost have, you could argue two or maybe even three seats of power within the Everton structure, which is perhaps part of the problem that they've, part of the reason why they've gone to the problems that they've had. It's felt very much that Fire Machinery has always been removed from the day-to-day work of, of the board of directors. Him coming onto that board suggests that he's probably going to play a more hands-on role in what's going on, albeit I appreciate he's a non-executive director, but he may be more involved in the frontline activities of the decision-making. Does that fill you with reassurance or does that actually kind of make you a little bit nervous? I probably have to say the latter, wouldn't it? Given, I mean, if this is if ever been under fire of machine, what we've seen is him taking a back is in the backseat role. <laughs> then you know, God, God knows what's going to occur over you know the next weeks and months if if he's going to be you know a driving force and a real hands-on kind of leader. I, I think ultimately, I think we've got to look at this in the sense of it is just feels like a bit of much of a short uh, term gap stop almost, doesn't it? You know. Everton obviously need to spark to the board after, you know, the resignations of, of Grant Ingalls and he's back back to Ray Sharp and, you know, obviously Bill Kenwright alone as the sole director was never going to be something that was going to run in the long run. And obviously, you know, there's, there's the news today about MSPs and he so I don't know whether this is just all kind of just to keep things ticking over while the MSP stuff in the background gets finalised and, and things transpire there because you suspect that once they do come involved and they'll have more of an active role and they'll put people on the, the board and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think the, the thing with Farad is he's probably just a figure, isn't he? And I think he's probably want to take an interesting look now given he's going to have new investors and stuff like that involved and new people who will have an interest. So maybe, you know, he does need to take more of a hands-on running role of the football club. But, yeah, I mean... I think to answer your question, yeah, I think nerves more than anything because I think if if what we've seen over the last few years is far, I'm not paying much attention with the decisions he's made, then we're in for a bit of a more, we're in for even more roller coaster ride than we have been these last few years because yeah, it's not been not been great has it, and you know if if this is him kind of rolling up his sleeves and getting stuck in, then you know what's going to going to transpire. Gav, we started this by saying. You know, the, the one that you were most interested in was Fahad Mashiri's appointment. I was anticipating you were going to say the retention of, of Bill Kenwright for the time being. Um, so, I mean, but in relation to that, and as I say, I, I do think it's important to stress that these appear to be interim announcements. That's not to say that we know what's going to happen at the end of this, but I do think that bearing in mind that we've been critical over the past of Everton's communications on these matters, I feel like it would be unfair of us not to highlight the, what appears to be a clear in, a clear um, inference throughout this that these are these are sh- this is a short term position. But with that being the case, I mean, were you surprised to hear that, that, that Mr. Kenwright is retaining his position of chair at the moment? No, not surprised. So it's, it's good practice, isn't it? I mean, I get. I get. So the angst this morning, they just see Bill Kenwright's name on board, share and ah, you know, I, I get that, you know. But but ultimately, business continuity is, is a big thing with any organisation, especially Everton at the moment, because we're going through so much change, we've got all this stuff about funding from MSP and and so on. So the stadium development, so it's a, it's a massive thing, um, business continuity. So keeping Bill on in that, that concept makes... A lot of sense. Whether you, whatever you think of Bill is is irrelevant. Just having a chairman who who stays on for a period during during this instrument period of the change 
makes a lot of sense. And and also as well, you don't you don't change chair of an organisation or CEO. These can be slow moving processes. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense as long as it, it is interim. The, the one thing where it doesn't make sense to me is is the, the announcement that within forty eight hours we met last week making a, an appointment about you know announcements about Bill Cannonlight and other issues and wasted like ten days to say well thought I'd say well I, I'm trying to convince Bill to stay on well was that known last week we have not made that that point last week as, as far as I'd spent eleven days trying to convince Bill to stay on the same and I, I don't know. It's just that, that just the, those two statements don't don't um, don't, don't don't sort of match up for me. But I would say all the other appointments make a lot of sense. And it says to me in the interim, the one thing that ever they're looking at more now else is finance. You've got um, you know, James on, haven't you? From um, finance and within the club, you've got John Spellman who's an accountant. You've got Farad, who's an accountant. And um, with Colin Chong as well, involved with the staging developments as well. That smacks me that this board, if it's an incident board, will, the primary focus of us at a corporate level is the financial side, which I think is, is quite comforting. The only, the only omission, and this may happen in time, is why Kevin Powell's not on there. Seeing that Brands has been on there in the past. For some football and insights, I know that can happen outside the boardroom. Um, but I, I just thought, from a presentational perspective, having somebody who's got the insights and it is a transitional period, some someone's got insight from football inside during the during the transfer window and and you know that type of stuff. I I thought that would have been a national appointment as well because Brands has been on there before. That's the other observation I'd have. Yeah. Connor, I mean, Gav makes the point there of the importance of the continuity to the whole process of transition that Bill Kenwright's retention brings. Obviously, whilst that is the case, there is still a degree of continuity provided by Colin Chong, who's obviously been a senior figure at the club for some time, uh, by James Maniak as well, who's been a senior figure some, for some time, and of course, Fired Machinery, who's been a majority shareholder um, for you know, since about 2016 now when you when you look at the appointments obviously I think for the fan base the headline was Bill Kenwright staying on now we know that he has proved to be a divisive figure amongst supporters over well, quite some time but obviously most most pertinently over the six, last six months do you think the benefits of having him there are something that's been there and seen it all for over the last few years and, and can help in that period of transition? Do you think that they outweigh the kickback that the club is obviously going to get from a support pace that has lost faith in Bill Kenwright? Do, do you think that that is a, a gamble? Because it does feel a bit of a gamble that is worth taking from the club. Or do you think that what they have done there is perhaps by... Farhad arguing for Bill to stay on. What they've actually done is they've they've left the door open for them to continue to suffer from perhaps a lack of benefit, the doubt, and trust over these crucial summer months from the fan base. I think ultimately what what we're seeing here is Farhad back himself to be, in believing that he is making the right call and the right decision. You know, we're not listening to 
outside figures and, and distance to support. I think, you know, we saw that with, you know, we, we always refer to both the recruitments that are offered. But he says, manager, you know, there was only one man who believed that Rafa Benitez would be a good fit for Everton and was the, the perfect candidate and that was far I'm sure you know that's what fans and senior board members and how Warwick who is he's, he's just talking to stay and who, who, who had you know, major reservations about whether you know Benitez should come to the club so I think ultimately it's just far I believe and he's doing what he thinks is best and not listening to, to, to outside noise I think I think either way in this situation it was never going to end well it, it, or certainly the outcome was never because I think you know, if Bill would have, would have left, they, they, they can make the argument that, you know, Everton were losing someone who's, you know, steeped in knowledge, steeped in history of the the ongoings at the football club. And, you know, I suppose in any business or any kind of, you know, senior level handover transition, you do need someone around the place who's been there and seen it and, and, and you know, knows what's going on. And I think that, you know, Bill very much is in the know when it comes to, to Everton. So, you know, if anyone coming in, they probably would have needed to have at least spoke to Bill Kenwright about what's going on, given that. The field the directors who've been on the board were no longer at the football club, and obviously ultimately, you know, the for Farad and, and the fans, you know, him try him convincing Bill to stay on, you know, fans will just look as like the lessons haven't been learned, and the, the club are going to repeat, you know, the, the failures of what they have done in, in recent time, and you know, we, we've seen the anger, we've seen the, the protests last year, and you know, fans made their, their feelings clear towards, you know, the board, not just Bill Kerry, but the board itself, and. I think ultimately he was never going to be a, a, anywhere in this situation. I think the way it dragged on and the way it's kind of all being played out meant that it was never he was never going to be a winner because, you know, let's face it, this is this whole kind of, you know, where I find themselves in the middle has been nothing more than a bit of a circus, hasn't it? Really, you know, even from the forty-eight hours deadline that surpassed to become, you know, basically nearly a week and a half, just just kind of summed it up. So. I think this is more. This is more. I think the the effects of how things have played out in in recent months and, and the position that they find themselves in meant that there was never going to be a perfect outcome. There was never going to be an outcome. I think that everyone was was happy with. And I think ultimately this is just far out machinery. Believing he is doing what is best for for him and the football club because, like I say, we've seen it before, so we, we shouldn't be really too surprised. Gav, do you think that these changes give the football club? The st- enough stability to get matters on the pitch right this summer because obviously a lot of the discussions that we're going to be having and I think you've made you know very well the point that these are very much finance directed uh, moves onto the board which when you bear in mind the state of Everton's finances I suppose you could argue one or two things on the one hand you could say well everything does need to be directed towards the finances because they've been so troublesome for so long on the other hand, you could say, well, actually, most of those senior figures on that board have been there for some time playing a role in the finances. So you could look at that either way. But when you look at Everton this summer, they have to get things right off the pitch. They also have to get things right on the pitch. It's clear there's not a huge amount of money to spend. It's clear that Everton need to strengthen significantly to give themselves a decent chance of avoiding another relegation fight. Everything needs to be in place. Do you, and this is a, actually, it's a very difficult question to answer because obviously we're dealing with so many unknowns, but do you think this at least puts a bit of a full stop on the behind the scenes things now so that enough, there's enough space to focus and concentrate properly on, on strengthening the squad and the transfer market? Because we are obviously already, you know, we're already a week and a half into the transfer market, a lot of, into transfer window, a lot of sides making moves. Um, you know, what, what do you think? 
Um, I, what I think is, well, by way of the relegation fight, primarily because we've got things right behind the scenes, have we, over, over several years. That's the reason. You, can, but you know, you, you deal with the hand that you've been given, and the hand that several other managers now have been given is actually scarce resources because you've got all that type of stuff we're talking about, corporate governance, finance, all that type of thing has all been absent at ballroom level. So I think in terms of getting things right on the pitch, you've got to get things right off the pitch first. And I, I see this, therefore, as a good move. I think moving to more finance, savvy, ballroom, however incident that is, is is is, is, is totally interlinked with our performance on the pitch and, and, and what we can do on the pitch next season because it gives us a platform hopefully to work with and some finance expertise and and hopefully being as imaginative of what we can be with our finances to support to support um you know the coaching staff so the, the two two are interlinked you can't get the stuff right on the on the pitch unless you got it right off is what I'm saying and I think this is a step in the direction of getting it getting it right off the pitch far more than what we had before even if it is just incident so, yes, I think in, ter- in terms of supporting on the pitch, yeah, I think this is, as I say, a good move. But the, as you say, the, the, the two parties need to speak. That's why I'm, I'm a bit surprised while Thelwell's not on the board. You know, you can be a little bit too distant then, can't you? <laughs> if you, you know, so, call, call, you know, if you want to talk about the, the, the stadium, great Colin Chong's there. Talk about finance, James Maraniak sit there, and then I mean, you know, we've got issues about the the profits and sustainability on the footballing side. It might be might be useful to have Kevin Thelwell there. To, to be fair, um, in terms of establishing that link between off the field and on the pitch, because the two things are going to be very much interlinked. Though Thelwell, of course, can can be brought into the board. It's just I, I would have liked. Oh, well, even in the short term. But it, overall, there's a step in the right direction. And hopefully this will see us making more sensible finance decisions and more imaginative finance, financial decisions to support and support what goes on a Finch farm. The timing's interesting, of course, as well, because for those listeners who haven't seen, and they can be forgiven for that, given obviously anything that's followed this morning, but um, you know, financial documents of emerging America have been published over this overnight and this morning, which suggests that MSB Sports Capital, the, the group that are in an exclusivity arrangement with Farmers Sheer, it looks like through a, a, their investors they've managed to raise 160 odd million dollars, about 130 million pounds, which looks like it's probably heading towards this Everton deal as well. So it does look like things are moving on that front. I guess one of the key things, Connor, is probably. We know that this is going to be an interim and we're working on the basis that's going to be a, sh- a, sh- a short-term board um, as it is. But but timing still does matter, doesn't it? I mean, it would be handy if all the machinations that are going to be going on, and of course, you know, these are complicated things and lots of legal and financial elements to them. It would be good if they could be sorted out before the new season, wouldn't it, I think, Carl? Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, as an need to start this season with real sorts of clarity and real sorts of kind of nothing there in the background, nothing going on in the background, you know, no off-the-pitch distractions, you know, everyone clearly behind Sean Dyche, everyone clearly behind the players. 
and all focus just on making sure that everyone can get off to a really good start and ensure that they're not fighting relegation again. And we're not all sitting there on the final day of the season, absolutely bricking it like we all was last season because of the, of the fear of going down. So, yeah, I think this needs to be, I, I know it's, it's tough, isn't it? And I mean, I'm not perfect person to ask in terms of understanding how these types of things happen and how long they take, but you know, they do take time. However, you would like to hope that everything will be finalised and everything will be done and dusted at the earliest opportunity and gives everyone a clear kind of understanding of what's going on at the football club. We'd like to hope that, you know, a new board, you know, permanent board will be announced by the time the season starts and, and everything kind of settles down and all focus just goes back onto, you know, watching Everton on the pitch, getting behind Sean Dyche and the players and and not having any off the field distractions. I think that is most the most important thing because I think the last season I think the struggles on the pitch were, you know, clear for all to see, but there was a micro there was all a lot of a hell of a lot silly seconds after season, off the field distractions that seem to grow week by week. So yeah, I think, you know, the clarity and, and, and kind of everyone knowing what's going on in in Massanita by the time you know that we we kick off the season in twelfth or the thirteenth. Um just for just for everyone really, I think you know whether you're not fans for people like Sean Dice as well, you know, you'll probably want to know what's going on, you know. I mean I just I mean I come this but I do think it's quite ironic that we're all kind of panicking and you know, over like a sign and we'll, you know, stressing our heads to overboard appointments. And yet our managers at Glastonbury live in the high life and probably prepared himself for the Arctic monkeys tonight. So, you know, clear clear to see where his priorities lie as, as things stand. But no, I think interesting for everyone needs that clean slate and that clean start the start of the season and not have to feel distraction and all focus on on you know cheating everyone because you know, but fixture wise, the first few months aren't aren't that bad for Everton, if we're being honest. And you might think that they could pick up some points. So not having any off the field distraction would be a massive bonus given what we all saw last season. And it was quite clear, wasn't it, as well, you know, once Everton stayed up, you know, Kyle Coldy you know, spoke quite honestly with you, Sean Dyche spoke honestly, and you know, Jordan Pickford spoke as well about like, you know, how things kind of things have been happening, which you can kind of read into maybe off the pitch behind the scenes and, you know, they they plays an effect in last season so you know, no distractions clean slate and you know, kick off the new season with a bit of optimism that you know, Everton will be fight relegation I think is, is the best prediction we can make this as things stands. I suspect that Sean Dyche wouldn't want it any other way that while he reparted with his mind on everything other than football he's got a fleet of journalists um, in particular trying to work overtime to understand what on earth is going on at the the, the, the club. I imagine that's precisely what he. I think he probably take great joy in in, in that. Um, we'll move on to on the pitch matters then at this stage because obviously, I think you know, just before we started this, you alluded to this, Connor. Uh, we had the news that Tom Davis is is leaving the club, ending his his thirteen year stint with Everton. Um, that came out on Thursday night. That was five o'clock on Thursday night. It's half past one on Friday afternoon now, and. Yeah, that's a story that already feels about a week old, doesn't it, Gav? Um, we obviously we know that Tom Davis was offered a new contract. Uh, were you surprised that he's turned it down? I don't know what the same the contract is, uh, first of all. But we had this conversation, we had a lengthy conversation about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, really? Um, possibly. Uh, could have gone either way. Uh, to, at least it shows that he wants to play football, you would think. To be fair, with him, always a, a good sign. So, yeah, I was in that context. If he wants to carry on his career playing rather than sitting on the subs bench, yeah, I, you know, I'm not surprised. 
to be honest with you, Joe. I think it's a it's a, it's a good move for, for him. But as you probably mentioned, not necessarily the result ever the football club wanted, uh, as you pointed out last night. So, yeah, not surprised in that context if he wants football. And Kevin Fowler's comments suggested that that was the reason behind the decision. Though I do think that you're kind of, what you point alluded to there is, is significant. So obviously, we know, and if anybody has read it, if not, please do. Our colleague Christopher Beasley had a, an exclusive chat with Asmir Begovic that's in, in today's paper and online today. And I think if you read between the lines tonight, it's clear that it's clear that a deal could have been struck for Asmir to have, to have stayed on at Everton. We don't know where the the finance. We don't know where the financial discussions led. But obviously, I wouldn't say that uh, a new contract was offered. We know it was turned down. I think from Asmir's perspective, it sounds like he probably would have been quite happy to have stayed if a deal could have been reached. Now, obviously, we don't know the ins and outs of that. Maybe his demands were were, were too excessive, or maybe it was the 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 club offered him reduced funds, and that may be maybe the case with Tom Davis as well. Um, yeah, I think. It's 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 from a football perspective for, for Tom. I think is probably a good thing, isn't it, Connor? I think let's be perfectly honest. He was fifth choice centre midfield there. Um, Dyche had opportunities to start him, didn't you? Uh, didn't start him once in the eighteen games that that that, that, that Dyche was there for. Um, Frank Lampard did start him a little bit earlier on the season, but I think that was a, a move born out of necessity. And I think that when you look at Last summer's transfer activity, it probably tells us everything that we need to know. You looked at the current squad there, or the squad that they started last summer with, where they added three central midfielders, Idrissa Gay, Amadou Anana, and uh, James Garner as well, didn't they? So uh, all, all at uh, a great expense as well so for a club that didn't have a lot of money. So I don't think Tom Davis was going to get much of game time, was he, Connor? If that's what he wanted, then it's clearly the right decision for him. Yeah, I think, you know, this is kind of one of them. Similar to John Joe Kenny, I think last last year, wasn't it, where he was offered a new deal, but, you know, turned it down because he wanted to go and play first-team football. And I think Tom Davis is, is, is clearly doing similarly. Clearly, he wants to go and play first-team football on a regular basis. And, and that's why, he's, you know, you, you should be suspect is, is the rejecting the contract offer. I think I think it's a decision that should be applauded. I think, you no, know, Tom Davis probably, probably could have took the easy option and just accepted Everton's offer, stayed around, fuck the club, you know, being a bit power player here and then we played the other league cup game and, and stuff like that but you know the fact that he's being bold and brave and he, he said no he's going to go somewhere else and we don't know where that you know, somewhere else might be obviously there's suggestions that he could go to Italy but you know I think Rangers have, have been named as a club and there's, there's a few of that side I think in the Premier League and, and Championship have been linked so we don't know where that's going to be but it'll be outside his comfort zone of course because obviously this is a lad who's you know joins Everton at 11 probably still lives in Liverpool or in around the area kind of only ever been up was a world club man so you know he's, he's going to stick a step out of his comfort zone but yeah I just think it you know it should be a close I think he's taking a, a leap into the you know the unknown for him essentially and you know he wants to go and play football and good looks to the lads and I think it didn't work out for him you know didn't didn't kind of come off but you know let's face it he lived the dream that so many of us so many of us have or uh, had you know in, in my case now had um because <laughs> I'll be getting the call up anytime soon. But no, in terms, you know, come through the academy, you know, captain the club, scores at the Glazer Street, and then we'll know against Manchester City, you know, you know, I think he said to himself in his farewell message, you know, he, you know, his dreams become a reality. And, you know, I think he just goes where everyone's, I think, you know, I know he's been a bit of a divisive figure over over time and people, you know, various opinion, but I think, no, 
in my opinion. I think people should just wish the well lad, wish the lad's well now, and you know, good luck in the next stage of his career, wherever that may be. But I do think it's is interesting on the flip side is that Everton wants to keep him, and he said, "Well, and you do wonder now where where other things will line up now. Potentially, you know, will that maybe mean that a fielder might need to be recruited, even if it's just a, a short term." one season, two season contract offer for someone uh, because clearly he wants to keep Tom Davis in there on the squad and that's not going to happen now. So, you know, a squad that I think we can all agree was threadbare and a little bit thin and uh, probably weaken, certainly not not fit for purpose, is now even weaker than when the full-time was up Luke Ball have given him kind of cold. He's not going to return. Yeri Mina's left, Begovic has left, Tom Davis has left, Renard Gray's left. So there is a... Plenty of work, I think, for Sean Dyche and certainly Kevin Felwell to be doing now, but between now and, and the start of the season. It's an important point, I think, the fact that, you know, whatever people's feelings on Tom Davis are, Everton clearly wanted to keep him. And at a time when money is so tight, that suggests that they believe that Tom Davis being in the squad was better than any of the alternatives if he wasn't going to be there, which gives us a bit of an indication probably as to where this transfer window is going to go. Obviously, we know the, that Sean Dyche favoured five in midfield last season, three central midfielders. Well, of the current lot, if you it gets a little bit messy when you try and distinguish who you see within that Evans squad because obviously you've got the returning loanies of Deli Ali, Andre Gomez and, and Jean-Philippe uh, Gabamin. You also have some of the younger players like Lewis Warrington who you think might get the opportunity to step up. But you would think that everything that we've seen from Sean Dyche so far suggests that he values Premier League experience and known quantities and people he can trust. It suggests that Tom Davis was somebody that he, well, first and foremost, it suggests one that they wanted a fifth choice centre midfielder, which makes sense if, you, if you're playing with three in the middle. Um, and the fact that he's gone suggests that, well, they're going to need to find another one. Gareth, do you, I mean, this potentially creates a problem because if he's not happy, he may well have a look at some of these players and be happy with them over, over the summer, but if he's not, and you know, there are reasons why some of those players went out on loans last season, and there are reasons why perhaps younger players have struggled to get a game on the short Sean Deitch. Um, it's another hole that needs filling in a transfer window when money is already tight and the priorities lie elsewhere, isn't it, Gav? That's that's that is it. Yeah, it's just two issues there, isn't it? It's just like your your recruitment bandwidth as it were, the time you spend on recruitment and what you're looking for is complex enough without creating another vacancy that you've got to fill. Um, I think I think it's also worth asking, Ian, and this goes back to the, the boardroom, so football and side interaction, why is Tom going on a free? Why wasn't he sold 12 months ago or had his contract renewed? Even two years ago, a bit like Eddie Meehan. So, yeah, I think it does raise that question. But, yeah, I, I, there's, there's that aspect of it. And I, the, the recruitment side is also the financial side you alluded to. So there's a reason why we got three accountants on on the on the board of directors, isn't it? Really, and one of them is we want money coming in. We don't want money going out. And if you recruit somebody now, unless we utilise some of one of the, the the people who've been on loan, it means bringing somebody else in and the cash figure going out of the sub, out of the club, which is something I think we're trying, <laughs> we're trying to avoid. And so there's that recruitment finance. Interaction there, isn't it really? And 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 also as well, I throw it that I can't. You know, we should be doing better than allowing Tom to go on. You know, going a free, and we could have got money for him at, you know, at certain points. Can I just? I know we. I'm going back to here, but you know the Begovic deal. It was, it was quite interesting to it. You know, 
the piece about like that, it looks as though we made him an offer. He was talking to me about this this morning, and he, he made the point is, could you see him coming back at some point down? He doesn't get another club. Because it happened, it happens with Pistoni, didn't it? Connor, remember, we let yeah. Pistoni go in 2005. His contract ends it. And then he come back about a month later when I think Moynton couldn't, you know, couldn't get anybody else. And is there, is there, a, is there a scenario where, say, there's interest in Pickford or we look at other goalkeepers and we think, if these are not as good as Begovic, maybe go back to Asmir and talk again. It, it, is the relationship between Begovic and Everton close completely here? There may be... There may be a, the only thing with that is I think they need to be quite quick with him because he's openly said that he spoke to the clubs already and he's got him. Yeah. So, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, better, better, better they pay him as mm-hmm. pay what he wants as well, isn't it? It's it's interesting. Interesting. I think probably it's a bit of a say. I mean, there's also probably like I, I don't necessarily think this would happen, but there's there's probably the potential, same potential with Connor Cody in the mm-hmm. sense that four and a half million pounds for Connor Cody was. I still think when you when with the package that you get and the flexibility that allows you with with, with the squad and, and tactics and the loss of some of the other players that yeah four and a half million dollars kind of code may make sort of sense for me it's, it's yeah. a deal it's only a good deal if you've got the money and I think at the very beginning of this summer Everton are looking at their transfer budget and they're thinking four and a half million could probably be better used somewhere else it may well be that come the end of the summer if if Connor Cody you know hasn't yeah. found enough club to go to. Although it's interesting to see that uh, Wolves look like they're, they're selling Nathan Collins uh, mm. to, to Brentford, which which is an interesting one. So they're losing the centre back. Whether that means there's a room back for for Connor Cody, I, I don't know. Obviously, he's got a new manager there in Julian Lopetegui. It was Bruno Lager that let, let let him go. But yeah. I mean, you know that you wouldn't think it'd be that unrealistic for Everton if they ended up getting to the end of August. They boxed off all their other positions, as unlikely as that might seem. Then they have one or two million pounds spare. They might go back to Wolves and say, "Well, you would have taken four and a half million. Would you take two and a half now?" Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, you may look at another sense after they go up for ten million quid. So it's not as good the players got a code. Yeah. yeah, and I just think I just think the bag of it. I'd like to think that this bit, you know, the bag of it is say, "Just I'm gonna minute as we just just keep your don't keep you know don't commit yourself. Then the, we may end up coming back for it at some point. I, I, I just, as you say, it's 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 an unusual summer for us. It's a different one. It's another another thing that's worth because it's the same in relation to to the goalkeeper situation it is with 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 Tom Davis and, and and the second element of his departure that is a concern. I think is that you know we seem to you know I, I think. Everton haven't got much money to spend and they need certainly need forwards and they probably need someone to challenge Mikhailenko a left back. Um, they don't have a vast amount of money to spend on you know, finding adequate people for those places. So they probably, if they may not necessarily need to sell in order to buy, but they may need to sell in order to buy well. And you think, you look at that squad and the two players that are most likely to attract big fees and there is interest in them is Amadou and Arna and Jordan Pickford. I know we're covering over old territory in terms of the problem we've spoken about this, but the problem with Tom Davis going now means Evan probably already need another centre midfielder, albeit they're probably looking for a squad, someone's happy to be there and sit on the bench. If you turn Sal Amadou Inada in the hope that he would, the money that you would get for him and it would be left over after you you, you, know, you pay um, his former club off, if you're opening that 
helps fund two attackers and a you know and a left back or one attacker and a left back obviously use the line thing as well. The problem you now have is that that would then leave Everton with only three centre midfielders at a time when Dyke probably prefers to play that. But all of a sudden, he probably needs you know as well as everything else that he needs. There's Salah do in order to try and fund strikers. That money, that pot of money would be diluted by the need to find replacements for Amadou Inada and Tom Davis. It's the same with Jordan Pickford, of course, even more so as we have discussed with Altamir Begovic. If Jordan Pickford was to go, and I think, you know, it, he's happy so on. He's happy at Everton. I think he's, he's more, than, more than content there. Um, I think he'd be up. I don't think he, I think he'd likely offer the, the opportunity to play Champions League football. Who wouldn't, you know, um, if someone was to come in for him? Um, but I don't think he'd be pushing for a move as, say, it got to with Anthony Gordon when there was interest with him in, in the summer. Obviously, the David De Gea situation is going to be resolved in the next week or so at, at, at Old Trafford. So at that point, we might see whether there's going to be any potential movement for Jordan Pickford. But obviously, the situation with Pickford is also the same, isn't it? If you were, definitely were hoping to fund him in the relation to create the budget to suspend money elsewhere, obviously, the narrow scenario where they would need to find a first-choice goalkeeper on top of that. Um, well, whereas potentially ask him to step up and, you know, it's, it's complicated, isn't it? It didn't the whole thing. The back of its thing does, didn't make any sense to me, but I, no, I, I, I think it's a point worth making. And I'm going to tell the Tommy mate because I said, he come up with it. I think that's, it's a valid point that the back of its thing, we may not have heard the last of this. I think... I think we're in for a really, really interesting transfer window in the sense that it looks like there are some, you know, there are some big clubs with a hell of a lot of money to spend, mm. and it looks like everybody else is always taking a step back and seeing what moves first. All the talk so far really is about those major moves: your, Mo- your Moises Casido, your your Declan Rice's, your Kai Havertz, and a lot of that obviously is, I mean, with the exception of Declan Rice. It's money, well, I suppose, and Caicedo as well, but some of, some of it is money and it's going between the big clubs, so it's not necessarily going to spark mm. a domino effect. But what would be interesting, I think, obviously, if, if West Ham, as it looks like, they're probably going to become flush with Declan Rice money, what impact that has, and you know. So I think it's going to be, I think for all that everybody wants squads to be well set up well in advance of the start of the season, I've got a horrible feeling. Obviously, Everton are in a position financially where they can dictate to other clubs what's going to go on. So I feel like it's going to, and probably even more so when you add the Dyches out in Glastonbury at the minute, um, you know, it's, it's probably going to be a, a transfer win that a lot of the business that does get done gets done late as well. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the other, uh, the Nan, I think that reminds me, was amazing for the Nana last year when we were on the road. It's a good point. I, I don't, I mean, they would probably have the finances to, to make a move for him. But it'd be, I'd be interested to see whether or not they would see West Ham as a stepping stone. Obviously, it would be a move to London. Yeah. Uh, I would be European football and that as well. Um, I mean, that's just something. I think as well, the transfer window all comes down, doesn't it, to how quick more came with well or Sean Dice, because obviously he knew it, I mean, the deals, how quick they get them in. You know how quick they get their you know the priorities in, which is you know clearly a centre forward, you know probably a left back and, and and maybe you know another another position. But how quick they get the priorities into them, maybe be in a position to go back for for, for Cody or a Begovic or someone like that, because it all depends on how. Because let's face it, if Everton were to sign, I don't know, a right back next week or you know or striker, people would be pretty kind of not disappointed, but 
a bit frustrated that we were signing a right back, for instance. Whereas, you know, let's face it, if if they if they were trying to get the priorities in as early as they can, but like Joseph said, I think that's going to be a, a bit of a struggle for the stars the season. And I think as well, Begovic and, and Cody, the big thing as well, two big characters in the behind the scenes. I think, you know, Cody was clearly well liked, well respected, done an awful lot, and and all from your chat away. About the goalkeeper situation, or better, which was clearly high thought of, and, and it was great for Jordan Pickford in terms of his development behind the scenes, and, and another one who seems a really good figure. So, Evanor kind of just losing two good squad players, they're losing two you know, big characters and key figures behind the scenes. Yeah, that's 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 clearly a concern. Colin, we've spoken a lot of centre midfield situation. Um, obviously, there's the potential in, in theory, although in re- I suspect the reality is very different. Can you see any of those returning players, Gabamin, Gomez, or Deli Ali? Do you think realistically Sean Dyche is going to fancy any of them to do a, a, a squad job next season? We know Gabamin's agent's been quite vocal in saying that he doesn't want to really, doesn't see a future in Everton. Um, I mean, what, what, what do you think? No, I don't, I don't think any. I think they'll try to sell or offload all three of them again if they can. I think. Gomez will probably will he'll want to, will, will, will want to take him back. I think he impressed there last season, made a number of appearances, and I think he was certainly quite open. I think Gomez as well to going back there last season when he was asked. I think he was, you know, he said that as all the future holds, but I really enjoyed the time here. So I know obviously you think Paulo for Paulo Fonseca, you know, the understands is the little boss is quite keen. I think for a reunion with Andre Gomez this summer. Yeah, you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice here, God. A Paolo Fonseca is interested in bringing Andre Gomez back to Lille because you've spoken to Paolo Fonseca. Well, off the record, yes, Joe, yes. <laughs> yes. All right. But yeah, I think also I think the interesting curveball of Celta Vigo emerged today is a possible destination yeah. for Andre. A, a reunion with Rafa Benitez, who looks always reportedly said to take over. So that I think is an interesting one to, to maybe a bit of a curveball. But I think in terms of Kabama, I don't think he wants to be anywhere near Finch Farm, does he, to start a pre season? comments by the fantasy that say to Germany. So I think, you know, I, I think Everett will try and get off of him. And I think as well, also ultimately with Deli Ali, whether Everton want to keep him or not, I think that. Clause of having to pay twenty million to Tottenham if he makes twenty appearances will be burning in the back of many people's minds. A good decision, and I think there'll be deep concern that you know if Delhi did get off to a good start, he stays in around the squad and he becomes a squad player. Once they do hit that twenty, he got to give Tottenham twenty million. If he doesn't, then maintain them performances and and, and keeps that same level. That it's a very very expensive kind of experiment gone wrong. Which, I think, if we're being honest, the whole Frank Lampard Delhi experiment. When he first joined the club, has gone wrong, hasn't it? Because it's not turned out how anyone I think would have anticipated how it's gone. And again, I think Everton will be looking to try and get. I think as well, ultimately, they'll probably try and get rid of all three of them off the wage bill more than anything. Because they're probably all three high earners. Not Delhi come on a free transfer, didn't he? So free transfers normally demand a higher wage. And Gabarman and Gomez joined on during the glory, the glory free spending time, Sydney, where you know money when he was being thrown around like confetti. So you suspect there it could be still. High pay, so I think more than anything, they'll just bundle off the wage bill, they'll up off the wage bill again. And I, I also think, as well, we haven't seen enough from any three of them. Are we to suggest that they could come in and, and do a job as a squad player? I think Tom Davis was certainly above all three in the pecking order. So the fact he's not there, and we have questions whether he's good enough to be a squad player anymore. You know, 
shows that I think it'll be best for all parties if all three could could move on this summer. Gav, we'll, we'll finish off with 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 yourself. Probably one other player that we know that there's interest in is, is Ellis Sims. You know, he, he scored quite prolifically in the SPL and in the Championship. We know there are a number of Championship sides, you know, the likes of Ipswich, Blackburn, and Sunderland that are interested in him. I mean, is he somebody that you would be looking to take money for if an, if a bid was to come in, or is he someone that you would rather wait until the end of the transfer window and only let go if you felt that adequate enforcements, reinforcements, had been brought in? No, I take the money. Alison, shown by my old adult who wrote the the best time to sell a player this twelve months before. It's too late. I think. Um, I think. He, I think the time is right for selling them now, especially if there's interest. And then using that money um, to, elsewhere, I think Sims has got his attributes. I don't think he's a Premier League striker at this moment in his career. And obviously, at twenty, was he twenty-two? But he de- then developing to a Premier League striker can be very much debated. But um, as it stands at the moment, where we are financially, you know, we've only got to hear the podcast there with a club that needs money to fund other other transfers, I think you would um, you would have to say that it would be a good move if we could if we could sell him on. I mean, what his fee is is a different kettle of fish. I mean six to seven million seems about right right to me, possibly. But uh, this is this is the other thing, isn't it, about us? Is it I know so briefly is clubs know we've got to sell so that immediately diminishes the Yeah, the asking price. The asking price, doesn't it? And but Sims, if you get money for Sims, he's an academy graduate, isn't he? Um, I don't think there's any. I don't know whether it's a salon clause, anything in his contract. But if you get if you get anything between five and ten million for him, I think that would be good business. And that's what ultimately, if you be ruthless about it, that's what academies are sometimes there for are they? What, what, what I would do with Sims if they was to sell him, sorry, what I would do is push some sort of clause and let everyone get first refusal to sign him. Yeah, yeah, that, that right. But at the same time, that then that tend to say you can have you know six million for no oh, six or seven million with no sell on clause, or if you want a sell on clause, we're only going to give you four or five million. I think though for the extra what an old money's type of if it was one million pound difference because he could develop and he could blossom in, in three or four years because you know because he scored goals the championship he scored goals the championship that's why he's he's wanted by clubs because he scored goals at that level. Some might say that he ended Calibu uh, Koulibaly's Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a fair point. I mean, that's something that the club, that's why we've got three accounts on the board to uh, make them type of decisions, I think. Well, well, thanks so much for joining me, folks. And thanks so much for everybody that's tuned in to listen to this. Um, Friday afternoon now, we'll be back hopefully on Monday or Tuesday of next week. I'm sure we'll have plenty to speak to, uh, plenty to talk about. As Connor said before we came on there, Everton are the club that doesn't seem to have a summer break. It's keeping us busy. It's keeping us, it's keeping us sleepless nights for us, but it is also keeping us in work, I suppose. So uh, we've got to be grateful for that. I still have plenty to talk about. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. It's been the Royal Blue Podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.